0: Good morning everybody. I just realized I forgot my notes, so I'll just do it from memory. You won't know if I forget, will you? My name is Romy. I'm an events person here. So glad to see you all today. Thank you for coming, and I'm going to thank the volunteers who are not in this room because they're all outside working. They're all new today, and if you see someone with a name tag, give them a smile and thank them because... They've been here since 8.30 and they've been getting a lot of instruction from me. So they might be a little, they might appreciate a smile. And uh, yes, so let's see, we are here today, (laughs) oh we have another retreat, I'll start there. We have another retreat that's upstairs, so you might see another group walking around and they are on their third day of a three day retreat. Um, So I'm going to ask you all to stay downstairs. The bookstores down here, there's tea down here, and restrooms down here. So you really don't need to go upstairs. You'll also see them in and out because they're doing some meditation outside as well. Lunch. We can eat lunch in the building, and you can also drink in this room water and tea, but we'd love for you to have your uh, cups covered in case there's a spill. And if there is, you can look for someone with a, a volunteer with a name tag and we'll get it uh, um, cleaned up for you right away. Um, if you forgot lunch today, no worries. We have Woodacre Deli across the street. I can give you directions to get there. Um, Bell ringer. So when it's time to come into the room, we have a volunteer ringing a bell. However, here's the interesting thing. We also have an event upstairs. So if you're hearing bells at odd times, it could very possibly be for the other group. So you might have to pay attention to the time, and there's a clock in the back. Please turn off your cell phones. Thank you, Jesse. If you haven't already, it's time to turn them off now. And if you're having a hard time hearing me, we have assisted hearing devices in the back. Jesse's there. You can pick one up from him. They really, really work great now. What else do I need to say? Um, I think that's it. You may notice there's an empty chair. Bob Stahl is at the upper retreat area finishing up his a uh, week-long retreat up there. So he's going to finish up with those people and come down. Speaking of the upper retreat, because it's the last day up there, you can, at lunch, walk up to the upper retreat area. Um, there is a sign that says, please do not pass. Uh, this this is the residential retreat area, but because today is the last day, you can go up there during lunch. CE's the most important thing. Twenty of you are getting continuing education credits. You must have checked in already. Yes, if you need, and don't forget to check out at end of day. And we need your evaluation. And finally. Um, if Steve and Bob ask questions, wait for the microphone. We have two mic runners. Please wait for the microphone. Hold it closely. In this way, everyone can hear your question. Okay. Thank you for being so patient with me. I will turn it over to Steve Flowers, who I would have introduced more formally if I had had my sheet, but he's been here many times before. He's taught with Bob for over 20 years. He's soup. Yeah? Okay. He's super fabulous and wonderful. And that I don't have to read. Okay, thank you everyone for being here. Have an excellent day. Okay.
1: Thank you. Welcome here. Let's sit for a little bit before we do much of anything else. This program is all about using mindfulness to heal, bringing it into medicine. Let's start with the mindfulness practice. Just be still, and breathe, be present. If you want, you can allow your eyes to gently close. Breathing normally and naturally. Use the sensations of your breath
2: as your way to be present. few more moments. You're welcoming yourself here. You're actually
1: showing up to be here
2: in each moment, with each breath, This is not only a practice, it's a way of life. wishing for peace.
1: Welcome. Welcome to Spirit Rock. Welcome to our day long where we're going to talk ab- about mindfulness, medicine, and mindfulness-based stress reduction. Papa and I have both been mindfulness-based stress reduction teachers for a long time, well over 20 years. Plus we lead retreats together five to six times a year. Every year come back here to do this day long. I also work full-time through a medical center and a private practice as well as a mindfulness-based psychotherapist. We'll offer some didactic this morning, but to fully understand mindfulness and mindfulness and medicine and how we might apply it into not only caring for ourselves, but for all those we serve. And that arises from practice. Our mindfulness grows the more we practice. We need to learn and embody this if we're going to understand how mindfulness based stress reduction can help anybody. So, how many people are, that are here are new to Spirit Rock? How many? Wonderful. Welcome here. And how many people are new to mindfulness? Wonderful, that's even better. How many people are health professionals? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, I, I know for sure something brought you here. Something that you saw on a flyer. Maybe it's something in your own life that you would like to take a look at in terms of your own health, your body, your mind. For some reason, I don't know how many others here work in mindfulness-based psychotherapy or in the profession of psychotherapy. How many are in psychotherapy? Have you noticed there's been an increase in people calling with anxiety for some reason? We'll look at that today, how to work with anxiety, stress, and pain. But what I'd like to do now is invite you to turn to the person next to you and greet one another. And maybe if it's somebody that you don't know, it's all the better. But if you're with each other and came together, that would be fine. But I would like you to take turns, each person sharing what brings you here. What brings you here? What do you want to get out of this day? Why are you here? What brings you here? One person shares, the other listens, acknowledges and smiles and grimaces or whatever the right is. And I'll ring the bell in about another five minutes and uh, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. See how you guys are doing and bring us back to the large group. What brings you here? So good work, you guys, and I'd like to just take another pause and consider what you were just discussing, what you just shared, and perhaps feel into the question a little more deeply, what really brings you here, or what really, 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 really (laughs) brings you here. Now just feel into that for yourself. Reach deep. What do you want?
2: What are you looking for?
1: Thank you very much. And I'd like to ask, what brings you here? Maybe a few people could say, really, what brings you here? What do you want? Raise your hand, if you will, and we people with microphones. Thank you. And if you don't have a microphone, go ahead and shout it out. I don't want to do that. Oh. Okay. Give her the microphone. Just wait for a microphone. There it comes.
3: So I'm a professional companion caregiver. I've been doing it about three years. And in that time, I've really developed what's known as caregiver syndrome. I have. Gained 60 pounds. I have for the first time in my life high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I have all the risk factors for a stroke myself. I work with people with dementia and Alzheimer's, and um, I'm just very, very... I love, I love the people I work with and I love my work, but I'm very, very stressed out by it.
1: Hmm. Thank you. Anybody else in the same boat? Working as a caregiver? Find it stressful? Yes, yeah, thank you who else what brings you here I just way to deal with and Can you use the
2: microphone please sorry
0: um, i was hoping to get
4: uh, some good tools for uh, dealing with stress and anxiety
1: okay excellent and the man in the front row here that one thing, right here, this man
0: i am what you would describe as a stress junkie adrenaline junkie i thrive in stress i just search for stress whenever i can find and feel boredom and out of place but i don't have stress
1: where, where do you, you feel it in your body
0: Something is missing. Some
1: boredom.
0: Bored. So there is always rush, search, jump on the planes, do something, cannot stop. So I want to find peace and learn to slow down.
1: Thank you. Does this sound familiar to anybody by any chance? this lady behind you.
4: So, um, in my sharing with Mallory, who is so wonderful, um, in just receiving um, my sharing and my exploration, that this is a very rare place to be uh, both Spirit Rock and working with people like yourself and other MBSR teachers. And with all the noise, um, I just feel like my life is very, very noisy. Um, and this is a place to settle into being quiet. That's what I'm looking
1: for. Thank you. One more somebody over here there's somebody over here that lady
5: Um, i've been practicing mindfulness for many years now and um i find that i'm i've been um helping take care of my elderly parents and so i need i feel like i need a tune-up even though i kind of like five ten minutes a day you know i try to always get it in but but i just needed to take time for myself and spirit rock and this whole environment and taking a class are always just feels so soothing and Mm. you know nurturing and so i felt like i'm giving myself a little gift today
6: so you know i i think for me as much as anything else the recognition that life is so short and i don't want to miss it and and there's something about becoming more mindful, being where you are and appreciating every moment that I want to learn how to do before it's all over with.
1: Mm. Bye-bye. In front. This lady in um,
4: I want to figure out how to deal with um, patient suffering. I'm a nurse. Without turning it on myself and judging myself.
2: Mm.
1: One more over here. Somebody who is closest. Right to the left. There she is.
4: I'm a clinical psychologist. And ever since November elections, um, my clients have been increasingly anxious, mm-hmm. catastrophizing, you know, worrying, just scared. And I have, and I've been taking that in and I've had in my, have my own as well, my own worry and fear and I'm noticing that um, I'm coming home every day, which I've never done before, starting the, day with, starting the evening with a glass of wine. And that's not a good thing to do. So I need to sort of figure out ways to kind of be in that moment and what my fear is about um, staying in that moment and experiencing mm-hmm. what I am experiencing versus having to run away from it. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm.
1: think that would be helpful in my work as well. Thank you. So, so We had a couple of people talk about caregiving. How many people are caregivers in here? for Elderly parents or other people? It is it is one of the most stressful jobs. I worked with about 200 caregivers uh, about a month ago through an uh, agency in Chico. I found a book for it. I'll just mention it to you. Uh, the the uh, Caregiver's Tao Te Ching and, uh, by uh, Bill and Nancy Martin. Wow, these single page, a single paragraph. You could look at this and go, yes. They wrote it at the end of taking care of their parents who had just died. Did a good job. Uh, thank you very much. So... For those things that were said and we didn't have time to say, welcome of All human beings suffer. All human beings suffer. And you yourself deserve freedom from suffering as much as anyone else does. You yourself deserve love and compassion, kindness, as much as anyone else does. Sometimes we forget ourselves in the profligate stress of taking care of our patients, of all those others we serve, and often neglect ourselves. Well, I thought I'd share with you a little bit about mindfulness-based stress reduction to start off with. About 40 years ago now, just 40 years ago, 1977, John kabat launched this program. He was at MIT studying to get his PhD in molecular bi- biology and become a research scientist, just like his father was a research scientist. And he was really working hard at that. And that was his dream. and had been his dream his whole life. And One day at MIT, they had an interesting event. A guy named Philip Kaplo came to speak about Zen meditation. And he was fascinated by what he heard. He'd never seen or heard anything about this before. And it blew his mind and he wanted more. And just hearing what he heard in that brief amount of time made him think, this could be helpful to me right now with what I'm going through at MIT. And he immediately headed into Cambridge where he found a, a Zen Master, a Korean Zen master, and a meditation group, and dove into practice. And months passed, he found a yoga teacher and started diving into yoga practice. And years passed, and he's getting near his graduation, and he's really loving what he is discovering. More and more so as he goes along, and it's really touching him. And he's he's actually come to a place where he's he's being pulled towards his meditation thing and yoga thing, even as much as he's being pulled towards the the becoming a research scientist and teaching at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And he's he's really disturbed by the question, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do?" And he he makes a, an appointment with the old. Zen master, and sits down to talk with him and explains things. that he says, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Can't you please help me? And uh, in the tradition of all great Zen masters, he smiles and nods his head, says nothing, closes his eyes. <laughs> they proceed to meditate for about a half an hour Well, at least the Zen master did. <laughs> and finally, he stopped his meditation and he looked up and he clapped his hands and he goes, Oh, I, I know perfect meditation for you. You breathe in. Who am I? You breathe out. Don't know. Now you go. <laughs> you got to love Zen masters. <laughs> they make you reach For I mean, too often we're inclined to tell the people we serve, our family members, people we love, our friends, our patients, our clients, an idea, a suggestion, this could be helpful. And that's the exact opposite of what mindfulness practice is all about. We're not here handing out answers and suggestions and you should do this and Oh, you, you seem much more suited to be a research scientist. Or anything like that. We we understand every one of us has an inner guidance system. We have a heart. And each of us has got to find that heart, f- follow that heart. And so off John goes with this dilemma. And darn if he didn't come both didn't he become both? he, he didn't become a assistant professor of medicine at the medical school and also right away went to the Dean of the school and said I have this idea I have an idea about a meditation program that could help people with Chronic illnesses and chronic pain and stress-related diseases help themselves and do things for themselves nobody else can. And I'm I'm thinking it would be a meditation and yoga-based program. And I would I've been creating and I've really got the whole thing created in my mind right now. And I wonder if I could have your leave to offer this program. Now, mind you, it is nineteen seventy-seven. And of all things, the dean of the medical school is a meditator. And he says, I think that's a great idea. And right away, John launched his program. And he actually told us once uh, that he conceived of this entire program during a week-long meditation at the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts, where he'd been sitting, and he actually saw this program and realized what it needed to be. It was going to be eight weeks and there was going to be at least two to two and a half hour sessions and they're going to be each of these different these different things to focus on these themes and he saw the whole thing and sh- right away he put it together. And after a few months, he offered his first class of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And being a research scientist, he also, at the very odd sec, took all kinds of measures and had people fill out all these things and even test about why they're here. And at the end of the class, he tested again. And darned if he didn't see significant improvements with people that had anxiety in that very first class, and significant improvements for people that had pain. And, of course, he published this. And this published went into a medical journal, and a couple of few months later, Bill Moyers came across that as he was looking for interesting programs that have to do with mind-body Medicine for his new series, Healing and the Mind, that he was going to be sending out all over the United States. And he gets in contact with John Kabat-Zinn. And he says, John, you know, I really like this program and I wonder if we could feature it, one of the programs. And John said, I, I think that would be wonderful. And as it's said now at the Center for Mindfulness at UMass Medical School, the phone started ringing off the hook. And it hasn't stopped since. So here we are now, 40 years. Uh, I jumped on the bandwagon 20 years ago, about five years after Bob did. And still there weren't that many medical centers in the United States that were offering this program. And now there are thousands, and more than that, all over the world And it's growing and growing and growing on on the virtue of the benefits that this is a program that really does help people manage their own stress. So this program began and it's the same eight weeks and it's the same themes that he introduced at that time. And now... The program has grown longer. Where it was once two hours, now it's every class is two and a half hours. At first, it was 24 hours. The whole class is 29 and a half hours now, from beginning to end. And it's in the eight weeks. In each class, people come in. We usually have about 25, maybe more in each class. That's what I average in my classes at Inland Medical Center in Chico, California, and. We dive in from the very beginning, just like you did during a meditation practice. And more, we dive into inviting people at the very onset to introduce themselves in the group and say, why are you here? Why are you here? We'll go around the room and one person at a time will speak at some time. Who are you? And what do you want? Really, 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 who are you? What do you really want? And as it goes around the room, you can just feel it dropping down. And there's usually a lot of tears, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulties, people coming in with very serious illnesses and losses. They've lost a child, a husband, a leg, a profession, the back, They're working with chronic pain. They're working with cancer that's not going to go away. They're working more so with minds that are causing them a great deal of trouble. Thus it goes. And what happens in that first go-around is going to make up the entire class for the rest of that eight-week class. And that's going to be when somebody's sharing about chronic pain or fibromyalgia or irritable bowel syndrome or the loss of a child or loss of a profession due to an accident, an injury, you see them make eye contact. They've got chronic pain too. They've also got irritable bowel syndrome. And, and you also see them start sharing at some levels and it drops down deeper. And in those moments of dropping down and the eye contact and the tears and the nodding, there begins something that is going to carry the whole class and make the whole class and that is the connectedness. That is going to be the sense of commonality of truth-making. So at the very onset we make it real clear everything in here is secret. Do not tell anybody else ever anybody else's name, profession, what they do, why they're here. And Another rule maybe you guys can relate to or maybe not, the next rule is no advice giving. Which is really hard for a lot of people. I mean, you can see them getting ready and I'll glare at them. You still see them in the parking lot doing it. Much to the chagrin of the people that are getting it. Because so, very often we give advice because we cannot stand their discomfort. We, we can't handle their pain, their grief, their terror, their horror. We want to make it better for us. There we wa- so we, we can actually rob one another rather, of something that's really precious. And actually it is the grief and the pain and the loss itself So, quite contrary, one of the things I might say at the beginning of an MBSR class, I never know quite what I'm going to say, didn't know what I was going to say here as I introduce this. But there's a poem from Carl Jung that I've come to like a lot. He says People do not become enlightened by following figures of light, but by bringing light into dark places. By bringing light into dark places. It's not so easy. What do you find in the dark places? The terrible errors, the failures, the bad turns, difficult times. Shame comes up. Fear comes up. We turn towards the pain. We turn towards the grief. Rather than try to make it go away, rather than try to fix anything or escape anything, we turn towards it. And we begin investigating the source itself to better understand our own hearts and minds and bodies, how these things are connected. Pretty soon we discover, as we just did a meditation practice, in the very first class we'll do a 30-minute Guided body scan, meditation practice. And in every one of those classes over the eight weeks, people agree to do a 45-minute meditation practice in each class that we all dive into at the very beginning. What's more, they agree to do a home meditation practice at least once a week, six days a week, for 45 minutes a day in which we'll send home audio files, video files, audio files of things like sitting meditation, loving-kindness meditation, body scan meditation, video files of movement meditations like yoga practice or walking meditation. At the end of an eight-week program, not only have we been doing this in every single class and every day, dropping down deeper and deeper because you're going to sit with yourself. You're going to show up for your truth. You're going to show up for what is, not concepts and ideas. This is talking about the wisdom of no escape, of turning into the skid, of bringing light into those places that we might discover our role in things like anxiety and depression or our stress-related illness. We have a role. We all discover the way that our thoughts are connected to emotions. And those emotions are connected to sensations and behaviors. And while we're sitting with ourselves, we start discovering that there's a relationship between my anxiety and my jaw because I find I'm clenching my shoulders. My shame has got some place in the body. I find it, I discover it. When I first really I've been teaching this for years when I brought it home and I was doing my morning meditation practice and I was sitting and I noticed after about twenty minutes my lips were hurting. And I noticed they they were poked out. I had my lips perched. And I did what I would expect, I would encourage anybody else to do as a client or as a student. I left him out there. And what are you doing, Steve? I don't think your lips are always out like that. Why are your lips pursed? I left him pursed. It only took a few seconds to realize I hadn't been meditating for the last 10 minutes. I'd been having a terrible argument with my neighbor who doesn't give a damn about his neighbor's whose dogs bark constantly and ruin their meditation practices. <laughs> he didn't care about the dogs. He didn't care about the neighbors. And I'm telling him in this argument in my head. And of course, I really never have done this, my poor neighbor. The dogs bark, dogs bark. But I was angry about it this morning. For, and I made this discovery. There's a relationship between my anger and my lips. I didn't know. Ever since then, I've been really anxious about old people that have wrinkly lips because they've been pissed off a long time. (laughs) But it's not altogether true. We all got to put our anger somewhere. our And while you're sitting, you soon discover where you put anger, where you put shame, where you put terror, horror, grief, loss. You'll discover it anger, rage, you discover it in your body. And with that, you can start intervening with this automaticity of a a thought and emotion and a contraction and pain. We play a huge role in our own pain equations, no matter what the pain, no matter how it's caused, no matter what the physiology of that pain, pathology of the pain in the body, the mind contributes to that pain with the story. Or hating the pain. Or wanting to get away from the pain. Trying to escape the pain. There's many kinds of pain. You're right, a lot of people are coming in with anxiety. A lot of people in an MBSR class with anxiety. Here's one of the things about anxiety that is just plain unfair. You all know this, but I'll say it out loud that if you want to increase your anxiety, do your very best to escape everything that makes you anxious. To avoid everything that makes you anxious. So you want it to grow to its until it's totally unmanageable. Don't you think that's unfair? You guys know what I'm talking about, or is this a mystery? We don't uh, ever work with our anxiety by trying to escape it, by bringing the light into it, by, what am I doing right now? It's not just happening. I have a role, and it's happening. Certain thoughts, certain emotions, certain behaviors. So what kind of thinking creates anxiety, for example? You guys, you know. You're experts at it. What? Catastrophizing. Catastrophizing about what? What's going to happen next? To the future. So anticipatory thinking and catastrophizing. That's so we create it. We're experts at it. We're we, We're good at creating the worst my wife and I have 29 family members this year coming for Thanksgiving we've already had them destroy our new couch with junk (laughs) (laughs) mess up the whole house new carpets and they're going to wreck it all they're going to spill (laughs) things maybe if we cover everything like with plastic (laughs) And so the mind goes, we go, go. And we, and so the, that which we flee from pursues us. That which we flee from pursues us. That which we turn towards transforms us. For me, it's um, feeling like everyone else in my life and in the world at large, it
2: has it figured out. And you don't.
1: That's because there's something wrong with you. (laughs) Does anybody else have that problem? There's something wrong with you? I spent my entire childhood and adolescence convinced something wrong with me. So that which we flee from, flee from, pursues us. That which we turn towards transforms us and becomes its Self transformed. But it's hard to turn towards this kid. In our, one of my classes some years ago, we had a, an executive from the medical center. And uh, she had spent something like five, six months trying to get a new executive assistant. And HR were sending her all these highly qualified people, and none of them were right for her. And uh, she was quite frustrated, and she needed the assistant. It was just incredible difficulty she was having to deal with at the medical center. And finally, they, the HR calls and says, we've got a young woman. She hasn't got any of the education, the rest I have no background, but we like her. We think you'll like her too. And shall we send her over? He says, why not? And this young woman shows up, sit down. And as she's sitting down, the executive notice her arms all scarred. And she casually asks, what happened to your arm? And the woman said, well, it's a story. Well, tell me the story. I'm okay. I've got nothing but time. And and, uh, the woman said, well, uh, I had an accident. And where I live, out in the Butte Creek area, out in Northern California, around Chico, and up in areas of Lassen, um, she was driving back from Lassen one day and going along the Feather River. And they had this deep, huge cliffs off the Feather River. It goes down sometimes 80 feet in some places. And it was raining, and she was going around one of those big corners on that road, and she had a flat tire, so she said. And she could not control the car. It was headed over the cliff. And she couldn't, I mean, she stepped on the brakes. It made it worse. She tried turning it. It made it worse. And the executive says, well, what, what on earth did you do? She said, well, I did what anybody else would do. Yes? Well, I I, I undid my seatbelt, I opened the door and jumped out. <laughs> I mean, here's this executive, well, what happened? Oh, the car went off a cliff and, and exploded in flames at the bottom. <laughs> well, what happened to you? Well, I, I, I scraped my arm and What do you suppose she said? You're hired. <laughs> You're hired. Who does that? <laughs> How many people in here could think that fast and actually pull it off, you know? And then what happened? Well, I was standing there and a guy came up and he says, in his car. And he goes, is, is anybody in the car? She goes, no, it's my car. My cell phone's in the car. <laughs> Which is like a friend for many of us. Are you okay? Well, I hurt my arm and he takes her to the hospital. And so there's the story. But Turning towards the skid, sometimes the only way to get out of the skid. And we're doing it on ice, we're going to do it. In circum- we, don't, we just don't wait. We have to do something. Don't you stand there? So one story it really helps is Anne Portella Nielsen. She she goes, it's the autobiography in five chapters. Many of you have heard this, but I'll tell it to you again. I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in it. I hate it. It's terrible. It's ugly, dark. I didn't put the stupid hole in there. It's not my fault. It takes forever to get out. Chapter two, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend like I don't see it. I fall in it again. It's not my fault. I didn't put the stupid hole there. It takes forever to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in it again. It's a habit, you know. Chapter four, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole on the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down a different street. Now it's not like these streets are unmarked. It says Steve's Deep Hole Street. <laughs> oh, a street named after me. <laughs> That's curious. We're the only ones that could do this for ourselves. by way of looking at things transform things. So in the very first class, for example, we're looking at perception. How am I looking at things? We don't see them the way we are. We don't see them the way they are. We see them the way we are. And the way that um, it's useful to, to look at this is that... Uh, Uh, My my way of looking at things doesn't just transform things, it it creates things. Victor Frankl talked about this in terms of the power of how we look at things. He said that as he was watching men come to his barracks and minister to dying, skeletal men in, in that barracks and holding them in their laps and giving them drinks of water and even giving up their last crust of bread If these men prove one thing, that no matter what anyone does to you, they cannot take away your common humanity. They cannot take away your way of looking at things, no matter what they do to you. Your way of looking at things transforms things. It's yours alone. And you are the biggest troublemaker in your own life. Particularly that guy. (laughs) I am the troublemaker. Does anybody not know what it is you do at this point? Ask your partner. She's been dying to have you ask her for years. He's been dying to tell you. He's been trying to tell you. We often don't really see it. Once we do see it, we can stop going down that same street. We have our own familiar ways of creating suffering in our lives. Nobody can escape pain. We don't have to create suffering. The more you resist the pain, the greater the suffering grows. In an MBSR program, then, every focus is towards how am I creating this life? What am I doing with this pain, with this loss? My way of looking at things. How am I resisting it? How am I avoiding Feeling into this gives me a chance to start dismantling. You discover that many stress-related illnesses, psychosomatic illnesses, have something to do with repression. And repression means I've actually stuffed it into the unconscious. I'm not conscious of it anymore. So for those of you new to meditation, you discover as you begin to meditate, those things that are in your unconscious don't stay there. They come out. And fill you with horror or grief or shame or terror. And you remember things that you did that happened to you you're on a meditation retreat. You're going to be there for seven days. And your mind is already gone to work. And you look around the room and everybody's kind of smiling and at peace. But you, and you've got this horror going on. And you better learn how to work with these things. And you notice with the thoughts and the memories and the feelings that it's got some kind of sensation. It also has some feelings. I want to escape this. I want to escape it. That's so a glass of wine or four, or toke, or dope, or medicine. I just came back from the International Benzodiazepine Conference where the whole conference is about Mother's Little Helper and the incredible dangers to humanity inherent in these medicines and the cost to its use. So there, there's, there are also means to reduce anxiety. What the pharmacologist there said, who are some of the world class teachers at medical schools, um, don't ever use it more than two weeks. Consequences can be difficult. Don't ever just quit it straight out, only with the help of a physician. So, that using things to escape and avoid generally can make things worse for us. Mindfulness is the opposite. You can't help but notice these things, and you have to find a way to work with them. This is the program. And over eight weeks, you make discoveries that may very well set you free from old habits. How am I looking at things? So um, I brought up a lot of things there. You might get an idea that I can go on like this for hours and hours. But uh, I'd, I'd like to pause and said a number of things. Uh, uh, open the space for uh, reflections or questions or observations. What would you like to hear more of? Maybe get more information about the things I just brought up. Other things
2: about Mindfulness be stress reduction. You're right in front of you too. That guy.
1: Say it to me and I'll repeat it. Very good, thank you. He asked, suppose you do have things that are repressed and they do come up, how do you handle them? What are the skills in a mindfulness practice or in a mindfulness-based stress reduction program that enables us to work with those? We're going to be doing some of those in a little bit. But to name them, some of the most important things I can acknowledge, is that uh, we meet them with a bright light of awareness, but also a very important element, loving-kindness and self-compassion. Loving-kindness and self-compassion are key elements of practice. They are sometimes uh, described as, uh, what are the wings of a bird one wing is presence, mindfulness, here nowness, awareness. The other is loving kindness, compassion. They both have to be equal for the bird to stay afloat. Loving kindness, compassion. Compassion is a word that comes from two, come, passion. It means with. Suffering. Passion means suffering. Come means join. Joining with suffering. Not making it better. Not sprinkling fairy dust on it. Not looking at things that are lightening up. But actually going right into it. Feeling it. With compassion. With loving kindness. So some of the most important uh, works about mindfulness practice are It's foundations, being present on purpose without judging, without striving. Without judging, without striving. That's big in its own right because we're striving most of the time. We're judging much of the time. Being present on purpose without judging, without striving. Letting be whatever arises. It's different than letting go. Very different phrase. Very different intention. And allowing rather than accepting, because some things are too difficult to accept. Being present on purpose without striving, without judging, letting be, allowing, paying attention. In my awareness, I discover, Oh, this is my way of looking at things. Well, let's, uh, let's pause again and do some practice and actually feel into this some ourselves.
6: Can I just ask a clarifying question? You mentioned allowing rather than accepting when accepting is too hard. Can you talk a little bit more about the difference?
1: Well, accepting implies that I'm okay with it, all right. Uh, some things are just unacceptable in terms of behavior, in terms of threats, in terms of actions. And whether I find them acceptable or unacceptable doesn't make any difference. In many cases, I have no control over many things that I find unacceptable. But in many cases, we have no choice with this. It's happening. We may respond to it in some way. We may find some ways to work with it and create a counterbalance, we must. But it's a lot different than accepting. We're allowing it to be what it is, but we're also entering into it in some way to work with it to move towards change, whether it's inside of us or outside of us. That makes any sense? Yes?
3: It, you know, to me, it just seems the opposite. I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to accept what is, yield to the present, accept this is what's happening right now. But allowing it, to me, you know, would be like if somebody I care for was being abused. I can't allow that. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I think, for me, it's hard to understand your use of those two words.
1: There's a lot of things we're on counter right now in this world and our country that's unacceptable. And I just don't like them. We can't. We have to raise a voice and do things. However, uh, we're allowing it for now because it is what it is, and we can't control that, but we can control our way of responding to it rather than react to it. And so another thing that Viktor Frankl had to say in this regard that may make that a little bit more visible, and he said between the stimulus And the response, there's a space, and in that space lies our power and our freedom. I can't take everything out of reaction. Reaction is kind of a knee-jack, knee-jerk thing, you know. There's a, I'm angry. My lips are poked out. My shoulders are up. I might actually do something physically and act on the anger. Or I can pause. We call it a sacred pause. And now I'm looking for different ways to respond to this that can move it in a direction that's going to be transformative, whether it's outside of me or very often it's inside of me. So uh, we're going to do a little bit more practice. We're going to do some um, mindful yoga practice. And we're going to start right where we are, right where we're sitting. And give you an idea where you can do these right in your chair when you reach over and press the button that turns off the monitor of your computer. And set the mouse aside and allow your hands to come to rest somewhere. Notice your feet resting on the floor in some way, if you're sitting on the floor in a Zafu, then you'll notice the sides of your feet, your knees. Notice the sensations of your feet supporting you in some way, the weight that's there.
2: Turning towards
1: sensations of being supported by the earth beneath this floor, perhaps at the buttocks perhaps <clears throat> noticing something that is supporting your back at the back of the chair. bring a huge amount of awareness into the body with sensations of gravity doing its work. And as you will, you'll notice your posture. Here, if you're too far forward or too far backward, your body will be telling you because there'll be a little bit more strain or effort. If your head's too far forward or backwards, your neck will tell you. And if you will, bring in a huge amount of attention to the breath coming and going wherever you find it at your nostrils or perhaps belly or mouth. And notice how your body moves with each breath. How the breath feels as it comes in, goes out. Breathing normally and naturally without trying to change your breath in any way. understanding the very first foundation of mindfulness practice is mindfulness of the body. So being aware of your body is big in its own right because much of the time we're not in our bodies. We don't notice our jaws are locked, our shoulders are tied, our gut is clenched As well as our teeth. But bringing an awareness into your body, you start noticing these things. And if the attitude is one of curiosity, friendly, loving, kindness, bring awareness. Very, very much awareness into those places where it's tight, where it's uncomfortable, where there's holding or tension or pain. Curious. Above all, mindfulness is an investigative practice, feeling into with awareness. Awareness isn't thought. Awareness is a faculty we're all born with. It doesn't want anything. It doesn't judge anything. It doesn't not want anything. So there's no judging in awareness. It just experiences things in each moment. And it only happens in this moment. Awareness of the body sitting here Noticing if you're too far forward or backwards or to the left or right, your body will have some sensations telling you about that. Or if you're collapsing and you're sinking down over your sacrum, your belly's contracted body will tell you what's happening, bringing a huge amount of attention into your body and letting it be, being present, being present with
2: sensations of the body. Using these sensations, whatever they may be, as your way to be present.
1: Yoga is a word that comes from roots that mean to yoke or join. We're joining mind and body, awareness and sensations. Attitude of mind is curious and kind. Here, now, for an in-the-body experience as you breathe and find some kind of posture where there's ease, not too
2: tight or loose. Allowing the breath to come and go as it will. You may notice the breath's a little
1: cooler as it comes in, a little warmer as
2: it goes out. Your body knows how to breathe you and you can use these
1: sensations wherever, wherever it's most prominent, the nostrils or belly, to be present for the full duration of the in-breath and full duration of the out-breath. Now with the next out-breath, allow your head to roll forward. And chin comes closer to the chest. With the next out-breath, allow it to fall to the right side. Breathe in, and as you breathe out, allow it to rock backwards a little. The next out-breath, falling over to the left. Back forward with the next out-breath. And let's do that for a few cycles of breath with each Out-breath, allowing the head to roll in each of these quadrants of the circle. Let's go around the clock three
2: times. Waiting for the in-breath, waiting for the out-breath.
1: Move in with the breath rather than leading in. Let's reverse the direction, go the opposite direction. You are going clockwise before, now go counterclockwise. Feel as your head falls to the right, you get a nice stretch on your neck on the left. Every time you drop into a stretch, you're breathing out and releasing. And you'll notice some parts of your body release too. Returning out of center. Head is forward and up, spine lengthening from the sacrum and the sit bones upwards. Now let's do some more circles. We'll do it with our right circle, our right shoulders. Breathing in, breathing out. Let's circle our right shoulder for three cycles of out-breath. Forward, and then three cycles of out-breath. backward. Feeling the sensations of the shoulder moving. And using these sensations as your way to be present. And after you've done three full circles with the right shoulder, do the same now with the left shoulder. Breathing and breathing out. Yoga is at about Trying to get somewhere, it's working to be here. It's not trying to stretch. It's being open, watchful as you discover places where things release. The releases often come with an outbreath. We call this waiting for a release. Coming back to stillness now. Let's reach up with our right arm. Reach up as far as it can go. With an in-breath, with an out-breath, let's curl our right arm to the left over the top of our head. Feeling stretched on the right side of our body with an in-breath. Allow that arm to come back down to our side. Bringing up the other arm Breathe it out, breathe it out on that side. And follow in your own rhythm of breath. We'll do this three times as well. At the end of the out-breath, you'll find you've dropped most deeply into the release. Sometimes you discover things releasing you didn't even know you were holding. Yoga is the practice of non-stretching, of waiting, feeling, allowing releases. Coming back to center now. Now bringing up both arms. And breathing out both arms. And if you want to caress the cheek of your neighbor, it's okay. (laughs) When's the last time that cheek has been caressed? Well, I say it's okay. They might slap you. (laughs) Breathing in. One more of these. And breathing out. Now, all of this, you've just moved away from the computer, you've closed your eyes, you've put the mouse down. You're aware there's more emails that you're supposed to be doing, but you notice that your shoulders were tight, your neck hurt, your back hurt, and you just stop, and you're just breathing. This is a sitting yoga practice. Yoking, joining, mind, body, masculine, feminine, Doing, not doing, movement, stillness. Now let's bring up our left knee. Bring our leg, arm around it. And as we breathe, let's make little circles with that knee. Clockwise a few times. Coordinate it with the breath. So if you follow the breath, you'll notice it immediately goes slower. Breathing in. And breathing out. After you've gone around three times clockwise, doing the old reverse a Now drawing the knee deliberately towards your chest, maybe even touching it with your chin. And with an out-breath, release that leg and allow that foot to rest on the floor. Bring your fingers around the other knee as I can make circles. Feel into the hip where that femur joins. This wonderful joint called the acetabulum, allowing you to walk, reversing this now and sit, ride a bike, press a pedal. times. Now bring it up that knee all the way to the chest and maybe bring your head towards it. Breathing in and out a few breaths here. And releasing the leg. So what else is going to be tight in our body after we've been sitting there having to pee for the last half hour but trying to Finish one more email, listening to your body. Maybe you run to the bathroom you come back. And you might do some more with your wrist. Particularly that wrist that's working the mouse. fingers, stretching the fingers, drawing them in. Yoga, it's not about trying to get somewhere, it's working to be here with awareness and the sensations of your body, feeling what you feel in your body. This is a mind-body experience, it's a marriage of awareness and sensation mind and body. And it's at the very core mind-body medicine. Returning down a center again. And once again, finding a bit of stance in your body, a balance where you're you might notice where you are in your sit bones. If you're lower back has collapsed and you've fallen forward. That's something you can be aware of, too. And and of course, at the end of the day, if that's how you're going to be sitting, your lower back will definitely be talking to you. Breathing Breathing in, the belly comes out. Breathing out the lower back. And these are really a sitting rock and tilt practice. We don't do yoga to get somewhere, but to be here with love, compassion, kindness, in our bodies. For no other reason, but because we're rarely here, we're so much in our minds and thoughts. Coming back to self stillness now, notice what your stance is like and your sitting stance how your neck
2: is and your posture, awareness of the body. It's kind of a homecoming when you pull yourself
1: out of one more email or you notice how one article you were reading suddenly opened up 12 more articles about the same thing. And now your jaw's locked and your stomach's churning. You oh, you pause, you breathe, come back to center. This is Caring for yourself, this is loving yourself in the midst of the full catastrophe. So as John launched his work in a big way and had finished a couple of few years of classes, he wrote his first book, Full Catastrophe Living, which is a very appropriate phrase today. we turn into stillness. Our arms are at rest over our feet. We're just going to breathe here for a few more moments. Our minds are great troublemakers. The stories we tell ourselves, particularly about ourselves, about what's happening, as if we have nothing to do with it. This misery, this depression, this anger, this anxiety. And the last 10-day retreat, I came to here at Spirit Rock. I really appreciated something one of the teachers said. As many of you who live in the area know, it's real easy, the wrong time of day to get stuck on the Golden Gate. And there you are, you're sitting. You're sitting in the traffic reaches out forever in front of you, behind you, and you know you should have got pee before you left the office. You're sitting there, and you're hating the traffic. She said she was feeling exactly this one day. She uh, shifted, and she looked over to one side, she saw a little sign on the side of the bridge. It said, sick and tired of the traffic? Guess what? You are the traffic. (laughs) It was a bicycle advertisement. (laughs) But the point is well taken. (laughs) Who's the troublemaker here? who's the one that judges themselves mercilessly, pushes themselves too hard. We're going to shift again to do another, one of the fundamental mindfulness practices in a MBSR program. It's called the body scan meditation. So you can do that sitting in your chair, or you can do that laying down, whatever feels best for you. continuing to be aware of your breath, whatever posture you're in, sitting, laying, Mindfulness as a practice of love, of deep, warm friendship with yourself. <clears throat> Doing for yourself what nobody else can do for you. Cultivating awareness without judging, without striving. We'll begin this with a lovely poem from Mary Oliver with which I start many of my MBSR classes and Bob and I begin our MBSR retreats for medical professionals with. Lovely poem where I think you may be able to relate to these words as a medical professional. One day, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began through the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though their whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. Mend my life. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew What you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations. It was already late enough. Though their melancholy was terrible. Already late enough and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice, a new voice that you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company. As you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save, a new voice that you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company, kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. So whatever your posture right now, being in the body, feeling the breath coming and going, if you're laying down you might notice the belly rising, and falling with each breath left to their own devices. All bellies do the same thing. As you breathe in, the belly rises, and as you breathe out, it falls again back down towards the backbone. Breathing normally, naturally, using the sensations of the breath coming and going at the belly
2: is your way to be present. allowing yourself to be breathed, finding your body's
1: natural rhythm. Noticing these sensations are always happening, but mostly without your awareness. Bringing a huge amount of awareness to them now. And with the next out-breath, allow your attention to drop down through your Belly through your left leg down into your left foot. Feel into your left foot, first points of contact, maybe the heel or sole of your foot. Use whatever sensations you feel in that foot as your way to be present in the left foot. And when you're ready, you like, bring your attention into the toes of your foot, traveling through each toe and in between each toe, being present, sensations of toes without wiggling or changing anything. Just see what you might feel there. As you direct awareness in the toes, now into the upper part of your foot, on the top of your foot, and these knuckles of the foot into these amazing little bones that enable you to do so many things, all these joints, sensations in the upper part
2: of your foot.
1: Now allowing your awareness to circle your foot and to feel into the
2: sole of your foot. The arch, the heel, sides of your foot
1: and both the ankles there. In present your whole left foot, aware of whatever sensations you feel there or don't feel there. With curiosity, it's kind, let him be. Now bring your awareness into your left ankle. Begin investigating this part of your body,
2: feeling right into the joint, sensations you find there. Deep inside the joint, if you would like, or the outside, if if that's what's most prominent. Now bring in
1: attention into the lower part of your left leg. In the shin area and calf area, slowly, mindfully directing your attention upwards to notice whatever sensations you find here. You may even notice in some places you feel no sensations at all which is indeed feeling something, namely nothing. And bringing curiosity to that. Now directing awareness
2: and attention into your left knee. front of the knee, back of the knee,
1: deep inside the knee.
2: Now bring awareness into the upper
1: part of your left leg, to the thigh, or the back and sides of the thigh, or the front of the thigh. Dropping deep down within inside the body, if you like, to feel into muscles and arteries and veins, and nerves, all the way down to the bone, if you want into the bone, into the marrow.
2: Awareness with kindness, curiosity,
1: compassion. Now expanding your awareness to feel the whole left leg from the tip of your toes up to where your leg joins in the pelvis, being present in your left leg.
2: Without judging or striving,
1: Considering meditation as an act of love, of deep, warm friendship with yourself, of putting it into the subtle violence of self-improvement, of trying so hard it ties everybody's life into a knot. Instead, there's meditation as an act of love. In this case, at this moment, your left leg Notice, if you will, if you feel any difference between the sensations in your left leg and your right leg. And then as you're ready you're like, directing your awareness and attention down into the toes of your right foot.
2: In between the toes, down from the big toe, down through into the little toe. If you wish to
1: acknowledge Whatever you discover in these sensations of the body, as you're using sensations as your primary means to be present, you might acknowledge pleasant sensation or unpleasant sensation or neutral. You may notice as well as you come to different parts of your body, or maybe something's been removed or added. Some people have pins placed in bones. Some people have had to have things removed. Pause longer there. Or if you've had an injury there, and just going there with awareness brings that back. Be open to whatever feelings arise that you meet with loving kindness and self-compassion in present rather than in memories, but still in touch with sensations. Sensations is our first foundation of mindfulness practice. A pasana practice. Sensations of the body. Of feeling into the upper part of the foot and then the knuckles and all the little bones, upper part of your right foot, the sides of your right foot and the sole of your right foot.
2: Your heel and arch. feeling into the whole right foot.
1: And as you're ready and you're like releasing attention from the foot and bringing it into your right ankle and once again, scanning, investigating, experiencing whatever
2: sensations you feel in your right ankle. Now, the lower part of your right leg, into the calf
1: area and shin area and all the muscles and bones and nerves.
2: Now, bringing awareness into your right knee,
1: kneecap, front of the knee, back of the knee, these amazing structures, ligaments, tendons, bones, and cartilage. Part of our body we take very much for granted until something goes wrong and we realize, as all parts of the body tell us, how precious this is, how necessary for day to day life in many cases. me to ride a bike, drive a car, walk. Now bringing awareness into the upper part of your right leg. Now feeling your whole right leg in
2: awareness. Now, releasing attention from the leg
1: and bringing it into the buttock region where you may feel sensations of being supported here. Sip bones. Scanning, investigating, being here for an in-the-body experience. Using sensations as your way to be present in the buttock region, anal region, and the genital region.
2: Bringing attention into the pelvic girdle and this
1: bowl, which are organs of assimilation and elimination, <clears> of <throat> reproduction, somehow. Babies are created. These parts of a woman's body they very much require something in the same area from a male's body. Miracles. Life. Reproducing. But also miracles of assimilation. and Somehow this Body knows just what food to assimilate and to use that your body needs, and what foods to release and let go, and to elimination. It's, its own incredible wisdom changing these foods into your body. Feeling into the belly region, may feel the belly rising and falling here. Notice all bellies do the same. As people sleep, you see this. As you breathe in, the diaphragm drops down into the belly and the belly rises. As you breathe out, the diaphragm contracts back up and the belly falls. Left to its own devices, belly rises and falls in this way with each in breath and each out breath, and allowing yourself to be breathed, using these sensations as your way to be present. Now allowing your awareness to encircle your body to take it into the sides of your waist, feeling into your lower back. part of our bodies for many of us contract and get sore when stressed. Notice what your lower back is like now. sacrum area, lower lumbar areas all the
2: muscles and nerves and sensations of the lower back.
1: For no other reason, curiosity and kindness, you feel into your body and every breath and in each moment you're becoming more and more in touch with the body, more and more embodied. So you now allow your awareness to creep upwards, your spine and backbone, all the vertebrae, all the disc muscles of your back. Slowly, mindfully. Touch with each moment via
2: sensations.
1: You're in the area around the shoulder blades, scapula. Allow your attention to spread out into these parts of your body. All the muscles and tissues, cartilage, whatever sensations you feel. Be present with those sensations.
2: Now allowing your
1: awareness to encircle your body, to feel into the armpit, armpit regions of both arms,
2: under arms. And now allowing your attention to
1: encircle your chest, to embrace your chest with awareness, curious, kind, perhaps feeling chest expanding, contracting with the breath, clothing moving across your breast.
2: You breathe in and out
1: These breaths come in and going, an expression of life itself living you and breathing you.
2: And reaching more deeply into your
1: chest, you might feel the heart beating, this rhythm. These marvelous organs sustaining our lives without a thought. presence in the chest region.
2: Now releasing from the chest and bringing awareness into your left hand,
1: and your fingers. Scanning and feeling into each of the fingers of your left hand. Thumbs, thumb of your left
2: hand. Knuckles of your hand round the back of your hand. Palm.
1: Now bringing that awareness into your wrist, encircling your wrist, curiosity. Notice when you shift from sensations to stories. As you do or if you do, or thoughts, simply note that let them be returned to sensations every time you wander somewhere else. Now into the
2: left forearm Elbow Upper Arm. all the way up to where the arm joins with the shoulder.
1: And as you arrive in this place,
2: feeling into your whole left arm, Now releasing from
1: your left arm and directing your attention now into your right hand and into all the fingers of the right hand into each other fingers till you get to the thumb, feeling into the thumb
2: Not feeling into your knuckles. the back of your hand and palm of your hand,
1: your wrist,
2: and lower arm.
7: right
1: elbow
2: and upper arm feeling all the way up to that
1: place where the arm joins the shoulder being present in your
2: whole right arm. And now releasing awareness from the arm and bringing it into both of your shoulders.
1: Another part of our body that may have us contract when stressed. Notice what your shoulders are like right now. It's kind and gentle
2: curiosity.
1: Slowly, mindfully, allowing your attention to creep upwards in your body. Now into the neck region. Throat, Adam's apple.
2: Air shuttling
1: through this passageway from nose and mouth to lungs and back. Blood circulating through these powerful pumps of your heart through these arteries and veins. Small but strong little bones support your head, allow you to turn this way, that way. Strong muscles
2: of the neck. Slowly,
1: mindfully, direct your attention further upward now into your head region, into the joints of your jaw. Notice what your jaw's like right now. Tight, loose, comfortable, sore. Holding, released, open, closed. What do you feel in the joints of your jaw? Now, feeling into the whole jaw,
2: all the way into the chin, including your cheeks and awareness. Your lips, mouth, tongue, teeth. air are shuttling in out. Now.
1: now bringing attention into your nose region, your nostrils.
2: Your eyes
1: resting here in their perfectly shaped little sockets. Perhaps aware of light
2: through these eyelids, even movement. including your
1: eyebrows and awareness and all the little muscles around your eyes.
2: Forehead, brow of the head. including your temples and awareness, cheekbones. Ears. back of your head Top of your head. You're here. Now arriving at this uppermost part of your body, very
1: slowly and mindfully, allow your attention to drop back down through your entire body. All these places you just so carefully investigated and spent time with allowing yourself to become fully embodied. Whole
2: and complete.
1: Present in the body. We're going to close this mindfulness practice with another poem by Dana Faulds, in which she says, There's no controlling life. There's no controlling life. Try corralling a hurricane, contain a tornado.
2: Capture a lightning bolt.
1: Damn a stream and it'll create a new channel. Damn a stream, it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in, the wild, the weak, the fears, failures, fantasies, and success. When loss strips off the doors of your heart and veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. And your choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. May there be peace. Good. So we're going to have small group discussion. Form a small group of two or three or four persons near you. And in uh, a little circle, introduce yourselves. And one person shares, everybody else listens. No advice giving, no interpretations, maybe just understanding, feeling. Share what you just experienced, your thoughts, your emotions, your sensations, what you experienced. And, and um, don't say anything, but you might um, give your grimaces and your smiles, and then go to the next person. Each person shares what did you just experience doing the guided, guided body scan meditation. We'll ring the bell again in about 15 minutes.
2: Is that
8: better is that better not working you know I this is it's it's upside down
1: is it working now
2: he says i'm upside down
1: here we go okay So very well. Good work, you guys. That's a whole lot of meditation practice for many of you who have never sat before. Please don't resent me. It was (laughs) all part of the work. It's just the same thing we do with MBSR students. So we're going to have a chance to talk in a larger group about that. First of all, I want to, as you see, my dear friend Bob Stalls here. I want to welcome him. And he's a... um, Senior teacher, he just got done.
2: up to now I'm going to be handing over a lot of the rest
8: of it over to him mm-hmm. so welcome Bob I nice have you here Thank you Thank you Steve. can you hear me okay yeah thank you well wow. thank you so much thank you all for coming here and Steve told me that a lot of you are new to uh, to Spirit Rock so um, welcome to this uh, beautiful land and yeah I have just been here for a full week doing intensive meditation retreats, so it's kind of nice to walk down the hill and there's more to practice. And um, so I just want to welcome you all very much, and um, you may be hear a little bit more of me as the day unfolds, but it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I also feel a little funny being on a stage, so in my heart I'm, I'm, we're on the same level as you, but I guess they do the stage so that you can see us very clearly, but it's not some type of patriarchy hierarchy. Um, though we are white, privileged men, so I want to just acknowledge that. And, um, and actually, there's a big work that's being undertaken here and elsewhere of really looking at how we see through the lenses of our own ignorance and can cause harm. So I'm completely dedicated to waking up. So thank you and I, I believe that um, you've all just done some practice and so um, I think this is your turn and I don't know if there's another microphone around or maybe we can repeat what's we said. we got two of them. Yeah, and to hear, I'll let you continue, but I guess about the practice of the body scan, is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, please, uh, here's a chance to bring up any comments, questions, observations, resentments, whatever it was about doing the body scan meditation and what was that, what was that like for you? What did you notice?
8: There's a hand right over here. Mm-hmm.
6: Thanks. So that was one of the longer <laughs> meditations I've done. And uh, a lot of stuff showed up during it, which was great. Um, but when that stuff showed up, then my mind started attaching it to the world. And I'm just wondering, my question is, when stuff does show up during the meditation, do you recommend trying not to think about it <laughs> and continuing on the path? Or since this is new stuff that just showed up and it's useful, are you gentle with yourself around saying, oh, that's what this is and that's good to know? And
1: and let it be. You notice it there. So you no, know, it wouldn't be a matter of diving into some kind of a... Uh, psychological, personal psychotherapy, investigation, you know, or trying to figure anything out. It's like, hmm, notice whatever you notice with the emotions that came up with that, with sensations that come up with that, urges towards behavior, let it be. And just maintain a curiosity with it, not ever trying to figure anything out. So if we're non-striving, non-judging, we're just allowing whatever arises. Every so often, hanging out in these places of letting be, if you'd really bring us light of awareness into what you just noticed, sometimes an insight does come that gives you a little bit more freedom or openness around this thing. But there are not so much achievements or accomplishments as they are gifts. It's like, oh. So it's not really a pursuit in some kind of personal psychoanalysis at all. It's really just curious, open, more fluid than that.
8: You know, I'll maybe just speak a a little bit about that, too, from another facet. And, you know, the body scan is a practice that, in some ways, is three-dimensional. First, entering into the doorway of what we're feeling physically. And, at times, it may evoke different thoughts and emotions. That's the field of our experience. The body, the thoughts, emotions. And so, you know, at times, if something gets evoked you know, that may be worthy to pause and to acknowledge, to allow ourselves to feel that may bring up some sadness or anger or fear. And so it's certainly fine to allow and acknowledge those feelings. And, um... You know, and if that seems to be more uh, stronger on the internal Richter scale, and you discover when you finally, after you acknowledge it, that you're in the left knee and we're now up by the right shoulder, there's no need to try to quickly go through all the parts you missed. Never mind, just join in at the right shoulder and just continue on. But there's a beautiful um, words from Martha Elliott that our history is here inside our body, and our body is our storehouse of all of our learnings and thoughts and experiences. And so at times things will come up. And how do we begin to meet them and to acknowledge them? And um, so it could at times be part of the practice and discerning. And, you know, Steve was pointing, and I think it's very important to recognize when I've moved into the mode of trying to figure it out or analyze it up, the inquiry is broken. Can I just stay with the feeling? Perhaps let the feeling show me. And that wise discernment, when it is, do I stay with the feeling and open to it and acknowledge it? And when at times, okay, I see you, this is enough and proceeding on. And, and this is something that we each in our own practice discern. Yeah.
1: This woman in front had a question. I,
5: um, I realize I haven't done a body scan in. So it, um, it, it it elicited a lot of um, peace at the end. In the beginning, it was I was very consumed with my stories, and um, I really appreciated um, the let it be a lot because that helped me just not have to let it go. That made a big difference for me. It just let it be, and then I was able to continue on with the body scan. Like it can just be there. I'm very familiar with my stories. They're, they're repeated in my mind, you know, <laughs> on repeat. <laughs> so um, I was able then to just feel my body. And it, it, it was interesting towards the end, I could just really be at peace. It felt like I almost did a yoga session at the end. Like, you know how at the end you get to do svashana and lie down? Mm-hmm. It was so restful and peaceful to actually feel... That and um it's um yeah i guess
1: i didn't have a it was yeah thank you those are those feel like uh triumphant sometimes when you see i i did it i i I didn't get completely sucked into the same old story i didn't fall into the whole chaos that comes around it it's just like yay Pretty cool, thank you. Here's one in the middle. Um, So, excuse me. Um, So for a long time in my life, I've been aware that I store
5: uh, stress very physically. Um, But in recent years, I think
1: I started to define myself as someone that only really stored it. In my chest, and I think that locked a lot of signaling in my body, so um, this was the first time in a while that I've done such an, um, an in-depth and expansive sort of body scan and the first thing I noticed was like my jaw extremely tense and at this point in my life I do feel very at peace, so I think that's something that I'm not stressor or something that I'm not conscious of. Um, So I guess I need to look deeper. But it's really valuable.
8: There's a a funny quote. I don't know if Steve mentioned it earlier about the Dubliners. No, I didn't. And um, it's from James Joyce, and there's a character in his book that was um, very much... um, Maybe some of us can relate to this description. It was about His name was Mr. Duffy, and it was said that Mr. Duffy happened to live a short distance away from his body. <laughs> and so in this practice of the body skin, we're actually working on having an in-the-body experience. And, um, and so it's a very wonderful practice to begin to, to get into the skin, to the flesh, to the muscles, to the tissue, to the bones, to the organs, to our life. And um, it's interesting, when John Kebb is in, um, someone asked him once, why did you start the body scan on the left foot? Because a lot of people do a body scan starting with the head and going down, and his sense was, I wanted to anatomically speak, start at the place furthest away from the head, and I had to pick between the right and left, and for whatever reason, chose the left. But, but that was some of the rationale of coming into the body. Of course, our friend uh, Nancy Bartikey, who um, she's the founder of what's called Mindfulness, Space, Childbirth, and Parenting, and she brings mindfulness into childbirth and parenting. And, and she reversed the body scan going from the head, going down to the feet. And John Kevinson said, What are you doing that for? But John learned very quickly, You don't mess with the midwife, because she said right back to him, Look, we're going with gravity. We want to get this baby out. We're going down. We're not going up. And, John did not say a word. (laughs) He he knew to stop. (laughs) So how about some others?
7: Can I say something? Um, Well, it's interesting. It started with the left foot. I've never had a body scan start like that. It just so happens that that's where I store most of my pain and trauma is in my left foot. So it was a good place for me to start um, because I was actually the most present in the beginning of the meditation. I think like the pain was actually a helpful anchor for me to really be with. I'm really sleepy. So once things became a little easier, um, I had less of an anchor to keep me from leaving my body. So um, I think I fell asleep. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep at some point. But it was very... I mean, the just like I was talking about my group, the, the fine line between really being... Because I felt like I would oscillate between really just being at peace with whatever was coming up in other parts of my body that didn't have as much pain and then being sleepy. And so just kind of navigating that line of feeling like, ah, oh, this is really peaceful. And then like, next thing you know, you're falling asleep that... But I think part of the practice like um someone in my group said is like is in coming back without being too mean to yourself too because i tend to be like really angry at myself so that's what i was practicing on when i came back from falling asleep i was i feel like that's where the practice was for me is not getting really mad at myself but trying to come back
8: it's beautiful and the, the attitude is um you know, can we practice with, with kindness, with a sense of befriending? And, of course, the moment you realize you're not present, you are. And can I begin again? And take a look around the room. How many people here have dozed off for a little bit doing the body scan? Raise your hands. Look around. Good company. This is very... How many people's mind wandered? <laughs> you're in Good company. <laughs> We don't even know sometimes if we're not mindful that our mind wandered because we're so busy lost in the wandering. So this is a first insight. There's a hand over here.
6: I I guess sometimes I wonder, we talk about the mind and the body are connected. Um, And certainly, as we did the body scan, that became quite clear. Um, But on the other hand... I went to a a talk that that Jack Kornfield did, talking about his new book, No Time Like the Present. And one of the first things he said is, don't forget you're not your body. And he was describing uh, a person looking in the mirror and saying, that can't be me anymore. Look at all the wrinkles or something. And so trying to, to recognize that you aren't your body, but that you and your body are connected and, and close and important to each other. And, and I think just how do you learn how to separate out the two parts, the mind and the body, but still <laughs> still love the body as though it's your own, even though it's not your body, or you're not your body, or you know all that stuff?
8: <laughs> um, so perhaps it's, it's really looking at identification, because there is a mental and, and a material process, but who's, who owns it? And at what point, as a f- friend of mine was just saying, you know, right now I'm looking at my nails, at my fingernails, but at a certain point I cut them and then I throw in them in the basket. And um, whose, whose nails are they now? Like the body just, it grows nails. This is what it does. Just like it grows head here and body hair. and And so the sense of ownership or identification. You know, I have an enlarged prostate. I didn't send a text message to my prostate to get larger. And um, so there's a certain type of uncontrollable nature. But perhaps more on the emotional and psychological level, of course, we are all, were born. Our cord was cut. We've become separate. We begin to develop an identity. Then I call myself I, me, and mine. And, of course, we receive lots of impressions as we grow up, and we begin to develop our identity. So perhaps what we're pointing to is that you know, this identity that we have deeply identified with may not be the full story, particularly if it's an identity. For example, I met someone in Denmark during a meditation retreat a couple of months ago that she was told ever since uh, she could ever remember by her mother that, I wish I didn't have you. Or I have another friend that his father, instead of King Midas, everything you touch turns to gold, he called him King Minus, everything you touch breaks. And, of course, there's many other stories in our lives where we get shamed, humiliated, made to feel small, made to feel invisible, not seen. We begin to, of course, these becomes deep woundings in our lives that we have deeply identified with and it comes out of our experience of life. And to me, one of the most liberating qualities, and I think what Jack is pointing to, of the mindfulness practice is to begin to see these stories that we are telling ourselves over and over again. I'm not beautiful. I'm ugly. I can't do this. I can't paint. I can't sing. And perhaps to begin to discover that they are limited definitions. That these stories that I've told myself are enslaving to me, and to me, this is one of the most liberating aspects of this practice is to begin to first to become aware of these stories, and then potentially we can begin to see maybe some of these are limited. I know growing up, I had un you know, trustful thought many of us, we've had many wonderful things, and we have times where we felt shame and humiliated, and made to feel small, and these become deep. And we begin to we live them over and over again, and with our practice, we can begin to see these stories, and ah, oh, perhaps there's more, or that I, this is identification. So to me, that that's I think what we're really pointing to—not some type of mysterious no self, but it's it's like beginning to understand the narrative that we'll speak about in psychology. See, some of these narratives are very enslaving, particularly if I've identified that I'm a worthless, um, you know
1: human being. And so in which case, you're not the body. You're also not the thoughts. You're not the story. You're not the emotions. You're not the moods. You're not the concepts, the beliefs. All of it. Well then, who am I? That's a great practice. Who am I?
4: I'm a little embarrassed to say what my
2: process was, but
4: I'm going to do it anyway, which is um, I want to start by saying my nickname that my family and my friends have given me is, is the Ever Ready Bunny. So when I started this and realized how much time you were spending with the left foot, I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> this is going to take forever. <laughs> and um, and I started to get anxious about that. And so I said, oh, just notice that. Just no- Why are you getting anxious about this? And then I said to myself, this is why you're here. <laughs> this is why you're taking, You're going into meditation. So I really worked hard to try to quiet my mind and, and be a good student and stay in the moment and, and pay exquisite attention to all of your, your directions. And then suddenly towards the end, as we were in our heads, tears started falling down my face and I thought, what is this about? And suddenly in my head came a conversation, I was a really hard conversation I was having with somebody last night where I was uncharacteristically reactive and couldn't figure out what it was. And a voice came into my head and I got what it was that got opened up in that conversation last night. And I felt this sense of peace. Hmm. And, um, wow, is this what this does? Um, (laughs) Because it's going to be quite a journey.
1: I've had people say that, you know, I could do the whole body scan in about five minutes. (laughs) Got that done.
2: So this uh,
0: question is directed to to Bob in particular, but I'd like to hear from both of you. This addresses what you're talking about with respect to negative thoughts, these Um, uh, these statements that were imposed upon us when we were younger, these bad experiences. How do you diffuse that? I don't know if you can generalize, but how do you diffuse that in meditation?
8: The the most uh, important aspect is to be aware that you actually are having those statements. Because without awareness, we are just lost in the reactive cycle. So when we become aware that I'm telling myself a story that I've deeply believed in and created epic volumes of it. But the moment that I become aware of it, I've disengaged from it. And, and that moment is, is, is a very important moment of awareness. It's like if we're in a room that's completely dark and I'm trying to get out and there's no lights, I can't see. But as soon as the light comes on, oh, there's the exits. So the light of awareness comes on, oh, here I am caught in this story. So that is a moment of potential freedom. And in that moment, I can maybe begin to choose to respond to it in a wiser way. Viktor Frankl, um, concentration camp survivor, psychiatrist, writer, he says that the, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space, and in that space lies my freedom. To choose, and so i 'm now awake. How can I begin to respond to this wisely? ah, oh, there 's the understanding of this wounded childhood, and how i 've identified with this, maybe the understanding that this is not all of me, and perhaps if i don 't know, perhaps if from that mindfulness, I want to investigate this more, to begin to understand it more and what 's fueling and driving this and um, for example, I was um, Something came up about my hair a while ago. What hair, you might ask. And um, so I just stayed with it and um, it's going to sound kind of funny, but all of a sudden I was 13 years old and it was my bar mitzvah. And in the evening was a party and and, so, and I was kind of like the center of attention because I was the bar mitzvah boy. And um, I went into the bathroom to look and looked in the mirror and try to look good, whatever that means. And in my time growing up, there was um, people would use brill cream, and there was a little song about it a little dab will do ya, and then you get your hair all looking nice. Well, I thought if a little dab will do you, what about the whole tube? And so I put the whole tube in my hair and you could have cooked French fries in it. I was so shamed, so humiliated and I had to go out of that bathroom and see everybody and I was the center of attention. That's probably and, what happened to your hair. <laughs> How I lost it all. So this history is here inside our body, and we sit with it. And like all of a sudden, there's that conversation. Here's this. So here's a story, and to begin to understand how that had an impact, and, and how it carries with me. But now that I see it. I can begin to notice something new. I can begin to become less enslaved by it. So again, that mindfulness is what begins to set us free. And if we need to inquire more, to investigate it, we may. And but just the fact of knowing it is beginning to get less. uh, We're stepping out of being lost in it. No. Yeah. That's why uh, mindfulness is uh, one of the qualities of, of um, liberation, if you will. You're, that that's, changes everything when we become mindful. And also say there's an ethical aspect of mindfulness, of course, is to do no harm, because you could be a mindful thief. But we're talking about the ethics of doing no harm, and how do we bring that into the practice. Yeah.
1: And of course, if we do more harm to ourselves than anybody else can, With these stories, with these narratives about my worthiness, about my appearance, about what I should have done, should have been, didn't do, I'm not. The stories, the stories, make up a narrative-based self. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the afternoon. Not the best part of ourselves. Thank
6: you. I have found both from experience and observation that the more we tell our stories, the more comfortable we become with them especially the ones that we really don't want to share and that carry
1: shame or, or just we feel like they're too awful to, to, to share. And it just
0: becomes a part of you if you're able to talk about it. And I've also noticed this, um, I've done a lot of grief counseling for hospice, and people come in so closed and, and then when they have to talk about
1: their experiences, and they understand that other people have gone through the same thing, it's just incredible how quickly there's a shift. Wes Disker made a comment at a retreat about ten years ago that I really, really appreciated, and uh, really stayed with me. And somebody was talking to Ramdas about his personality and his his quirky and his his history and he well known as a kind of a out there professor and uh whole thing with in his life and he, well how have all these years of meditation affected your personality? His comment I've I've loved ever since and I returned to it again and again. He said, Oh my personality. <laughs> I, I treat it more like a pet now. <laughs> Can you imagine? He just does that when he really likes somebody. <laughs> You're not identified with it. He just does that when he's anxious. I think it's about lunchtime. <laughs> so we have uh, until we have one hour for lunch. And we'll be coming back here then. Uh, I begin again at 1.30 our afternoons. So have a wonderful lunch, you guys. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma
2: Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.